You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Jeremiah, where we read Jeremiah 51, the verses 45 to 50. You may wonder about this scripture reading. Well, it is chosen in connection with our text this morning, which is taken from Revelation 18, which is about Babylon. And if you read Jeremiah and the other prophets, you will see that Babylon figures large, not just on the book of Revelation, but especially already in the Old Testament. And here we also hear Jeremiah prophesying about Babylon. In Jeremiah 51, the verses 45 to 50. Come out of her, my people, run for your lives, run from the fierce anger of the Lord. Do not lose heart or be afraid when rumors are heard in the land. One rumor comes this year, another the next. Rumors of violence in the land and of ruler against ruler. For the time will surely come when I will punish the idols of Babylon. Her whole land will be disgraced. And her slain will all lie fallen within her. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For out of the north, destroyers will attack her, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall because of Israel's slain, just as the slain and all the earth have fallen because of Babylon. You who have escaped the sword, leave, and do not linger. Remember the Lord in a distant land, and think on Jerusalem. We continue our series of sermons this morning on the book of Revelation, and we have come to chapter 18. Not exactly one of the most popular or well-known chapters of the Bible, much less the book of Revelation, but it is a necessary chapter as we work our way towards the end of this last book of the Bible. We read then from the Word of God, as you find it in Revelation 18, beginning at verse 1, where it says, After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit as queen, I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her, 
death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning. They will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon, city of power. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of kitron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and bodies and souls of men. They will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh great city, where all who had ships of the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. Sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never be heard in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spells, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who had been killed on the earth. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, you might well be asking yourself the question, what's with the repetition Last time when we dealt with Revelation 17, we were told about the fall of a very 
shady lady called the great prostitute, also known as Babylon the Great. We saw in the end how the beast or Satan himself brought her to ruin, stripping her naked, eating her flesh, and burning her with fire. It was all a very gruesome and utterly disgusting description of her demise. And so the great prostitute, or as she is also called the mother of prostitutes, or Babylon, is finished. Or is she? For look here in chapter 18, she's still around. And she's still being dismantled and destroyed. And, of course, that inevitably raises the question, why another chapter on the same subject? And why does John go on and on about her downfall? Well, beloved, surely the repetition is for the sake of his readers, his readers both then and now. The spirit who is leading him to write all of this wants all of us to realize that Babylon really and truly is finished. That her end is sure and certain. Of course, as he was writing about Babylon or Rome, as they would call her in his day, Babylon is still very much alive. You know, his first readers had only to look around and they could see the glory and the splendor of Rome all around them. They could see her wealth and her power, her magnificent aqueducts, coliseums, amphitheaters, hippodromes. Yes, and they could also see, as we saw last time, her moral corruption, her rank godlessness, her all-consuming materialism. This Babylon, this Rome, is both very great and very corrupt. Any of you think of it much can be the same can be said of our modern godless Western world. It too is both great and corrupt. You read about it every day in your newspapers. You see it on your television news broadcasts. Babylon in this sense is still with us. But, and here's the point, John is saying, realize now her future. Realize what it is that will happen to her. Remember what happened to the actual city and empire of Babylon of long ago. She's become, as the prophets foretold, the haunt of jackals and a desert. And what has happened to mighty and ancient Rome? She too fell and was destroyed. All her power and splendor went up in smoke. And all that remains today are ruins and memories and tourists. 
And the same, beloved, will happen with Babylon today. If you think that our godless society, our self-centered world will continue forever, think again. As judgment came to the first Babylon, as it came to the second Babylon, sometimes called Rome, so it is coming to Babylon today. And as a matter of fact, all of this is a preview of that day when Babylon will be completely and forever destroyed. Yes, and beloved, that's the message now that John, the Apostle John, wants to drive home to us. And we need to spend some time with him looking at this. It's distasteful, true. But it's obviously necessary. So I preached to you this morning on the theme, The Fall of Babylon and the Seven Voices. We're going to look at voices of judgment, voices of despair, and voices of vindication. Notice, beloved, Revelation chapter 18 opens, and again we meet an angel. We meet another noteworthy angel. For look, this angel is vested, it says, with great authority, and the earth was illuminated by her splendor. Obviously, he then he comes with all of the power and glory of heaven. And this special angel also has a special message. And notice it's all about Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Babylon the great is no more. Babylon representing and symbolizing evil and oppressive power structures at that time and in every time is over. Pushed off her pedestal, fallen to the ground, crushed, and crushed into a thousand pieces. But then notice, too, that this mighty angel describes at some length what precisely is done. Babylon, the demonic, notice, is done. John calls her the home of demons and a haunt for every evil spirit. As well, Babylon, the defiled, is done. She's described in verse 2 as a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. And then, too, there is Babylon, the deranged, She too is done. No longer will the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And finally, Babylon, the dissipated, is done as well. No more will the merchants of the earth grow rich from her excessive luxuries. In short, she who was powerful is now powerless. She who was rich is now poor. She who was attractive is now ugly. And she who was high is now low. Truly fallen, fallen is Babylon. The great notice, too, the, the present tense. It doesn't say fallen, fallen will be. No, is. You know, John is writing here as if it's already happened. That, that's to underline the fact that it's as good as done. Her fate is sealed. And of course, as we have said, that's true not just of her, but of all Babylons. 
A day is coming when they will all be done. Every source of evil, of violence, of corruption, of devastation, of sadness, of grief, all be done. Dead. No more to rise. But then notice, no sooner have we heard a heavenly voice ring out and there's a second voice. Only this one is not addressed generally to people everywhere. This one is especially addressed to the people of God. And this one urges them, come out of her, my people. In other words, this voice warns about sharing in her sins, receiving her plagues, being consumed by her fire, compromising and conceding to her standards. In other words, this is a voice about separation, about holiness, about avoiding contamination. You see, our God knows That his people in and of themselves are weak and vulnerable. And he knows as well just as how enticing Babylon can be for us. It can and it sometimes does so easily suck in the saints. We can be so tempted by her glitter, by her fun and her thrills and her activities and her sensuality. So often the saints would rather be busy with the things of Babylon. Why study the Word when you can go to the bar? Why pray when you can watch The Bachelor? Why worship God when you can watch sports to your heart's content? But notice the voice from heaven tells us, come out of her. Do not ally yourself with her. Do not party with her. No, keep away from her. So what is this? Is this a call to adopt a monastic lifestyle? You may know that is how many people have interpreted it in the past. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to turn our backs on the world. We're supposed to turn our backs on on Babylon. We're supposed to choose to live in isolation. But you know, that's not what our Lord and Savior told his followers. And he makes that abundantly clear in his high priestly prayer when he says, among other things, my prayer is not that you, Father, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You may remember elsewhere, the Lord Jesus says, you people, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And notice, he doesn't say, you're the salt of your neighborhood, you're, you're the light of your country. No, he, he says, you're the salt of the earth, of the whole world. That's his way of saying, you are the people who are supposed to impact the entire cosmos. All of creation, all the world. So you see, when John... Here in Revelation 18, writes about coming out of Babylon. 
He's not ordering his followers or the followers of Christ to go into isolation or hibernation. No, this is about being in the world, but not of the world. This is about critical participation in the affairs of this world, you can say. And this is about refusing to participate in every godless activity and in every evil pursuit. Instead, you're to let your light shine. You're to show by your words and deeds that you are distinctive and different. In all that you do, you are to show that you march to the tune of a different drummer. Jesus Christ is your drummer, your leader, your general, your commander, your master. And it's your calling and privilege to follow him. You know, that's the kind of life in this kind of a world that makes a difference. That's the kind of life that you and I are called upon to live. And perhaps, just perhaps, God will make use of that kind of a life to pull many people as yet out of the corruption and doom of Babylon. But then, beloved, if there are voices of judgment here, there are also, sad to say, but not surprising, voices of despair. Actually, you might say voices even of collapse. First, in our text, we hear the voice of political collapse. In the verses 9 and 10, John directs our attention to the kings of the earth. Formerly, they were the allies of Babylon. They shared in her great power. They participated in her adulteries. They reveled in her luxuries. Only no more. It's finished. Party time is over. Instead, it's time to mourn. Woe, woe, oh great city, oh Babylon, city of power, your doom has come. They weep for Babylon, and they weep for themselves. The goose that laid the golden political egg has been forever disposed of, and the source of their power is gone. And notice, so is the source of their wealth. Notice that the voice of the business people joins the voice of the kings, and they weep too. In, in verse 11, the merchants weep. In verse 19, the sea captains and the sailors are weeping. Everybody's weeping here. Their businesses have all dried up overnight. They have no money to make, no goods to sell, no wares to market, no products to trade, no, no reasons to sail. Talk about great economic collapse. But yet, look carefully, and you can also see that it's a case of almost instant collapse. 
Because together they all remark at, at how suddenly and quickly it happened. Verse 10, the kings say that it happened in one hour. In one hour, your doom has come. In verse 17, the merchants say, in one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. In verse 19, the sea captains and the traders say, in one hour, she's been brought to ruin. You know, the one moment they have all the riches and all the assets in the world... And the next moment, it's all gone. They're broke. Bankrupt. Penniless. Destitute. See, our text is describing political, economic, instant collapse. And and something else as well. Notice this is final and this is complete collapse. Look at the verses 21 to 24. You know, what's described in the verses 21 to 24 is the shutting down of all of life. Verse 22 says that the music of the harpists, musicians, flute players, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. One day, the music will stop. Verse 22 states that no workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. One day the hammers will go silent. Verse 23 declares the light of a lamp will never shine in you again. One day the lights will go out. Verse 23b says the voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. One day the laughter and the joy, the false laughter will end. Verse 24 describes the fate of the merchants. One day all trade will cease. Truly, beloved, this judgment is final. Never again is its refrain. And should you wonder at all where this judgment is coming from, Look no further than the voice of another mighty angel in verse 21. There we're told that a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. And why does John write that? Well, to illustrate something. What is he illustrating? He illustrates the violent end of Babylon. With such violence, he writes, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. And so, beloved, do you begin to see how in a very dramatic, prolonged, detailed fashion, that one day the great prostitute, Babylon, will be no more. Indeed, one day, every evil empire, every evil kingdom, every evil ruler and evil power and force that has ever been or will be is finished. One day, God is going to eradicate all the sources of evil. He'll get rid of the prostitute. And he'll get rid of the beast. Behind the prostitute. 
Yes, God will do it. He will cleanse the universe. And why? Well, you know, at least one reason is given very clearly in this chapter in verse 24. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. Here John is saying Babylon ceases to exist simply for the reason because it is the enemy of God, the enemy of God's people. Babylon has blood on her hands, barrels and buckets of blood. She's guilty of so much bloody persecution. And because of this, God will punish her. He will execute his divine judgment over her. Only notice that there is a different aspect to this punishment or to this justice. You know, in our world, if you look around, you would see that, generally speaking, there are two reasons for justice. The one reason is to reform people. The other reason is to deter people. Justice is either supposed to change people, change their behavior, or justice is supposed to prevent them from committing crimes. And that's it. No more. But you know what's forgotten in that conversation is that there is a third aspect of justice, and it's called retributive. It's called paying back evil for evil. We don't talk about that much anymore today. It's not in vogue. But notice, notice that our God does speak about it. Verse 5, we read, For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Verse 6, we read, Give her back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Verse 7, Give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Verse 8, Therefore in one day her plagues will overtake her death, mourning, and famine. You notice here our God is not deterring, nor is he reforming. Notice here our God is paying back evil for evil. He judges her for her sins she has committed, for the blood she has shed, for the pain she has caused, for the corruption she has sown. You know, what we have here is a warning. A warning to all of those who spill the blood of the saints and who ally themselves in one way or another to the beast. It's a warning directed at Romans, at Nazis, at communists, at Islamic extremists, at all the proponents of violence and evil that have ever existed or will exist. And it's saying to them, your day is coming. Your end is sure. Forget about this nonsense of all those virgins in heaven. Your doom is sealed. 
Now, beloved, if you are on the wrong side of the will of God, that is reason for dread and dismay. But notice it's also in our text reason for rejoicing. In the face of this divine judgment over Babylon, what are the saints supposed to do? Well, the answer lies in verse 20. In what sometimes has been called the seventh and the last voice. You know, you have voices from angels here. You have a voice from heaven. You have three voices from the earth. And you also have the voice of the saints. And that voice says, rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints, apostles, and prophets. God has judged her for the way she has treated you. Now, that may strike you as kind of strange and out of place. It almost sounds like the saints are being invited here to gloat. Only it's not. For the saints know that they've been spared God's judgment by something called grace. But it's the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that alone saves. We're not any better than anyone else. And so there's this deep and abiding and humble thankfulness here. But you know, there's also rejoicing. As a matter of fact, look carefully. Heaven sets the tone. The heavens rejoice first. Doesn't that call to mind Psalm 2, where it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He laughs in holy derision because he knows that all the kings and rulers of the earth are full of vain pretensions and hot air. For the Lord alone reigns. And by the same token, the saints and the servants of God are encouraged to rejoice. So often they've been crying to God, How long, Lord? When's it going to happen, Lord? When is the time up of all this evil and corruption? And now here's the answer. And it's clear. God will vindicate His people. He will remember the sufferings of His saints. His justice and His judgment will prevail. And so the saints have reasons to sing and celebrate. All of us who follow the Lamb doggedly throughout this life have reason to celebrate. One day the hallelujahs will resound. And the cry will be heard, our God has judged Babylon at last for the way that she has treated us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.